Welcome to the Word at First Prez. The sermon you're about to hear is not part of a regular sermon series. It stands on its own and can be instructive to our Christian faith in its own way, even though it's not linked to other sermons. I hope you enjoy. Our first reading comes from Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned in Christ. For surely you have heard about him and were taught in him, as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture this morning continues from our first. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have the privilege of preaching for you all for the next two weeks. With that in mind, I figured I better do a nice, compact sermon series because that is what you're used to. So my first thought was something that Judy actually started last week and I could continue for these next two weeks called Following the Lectionary. I even made myself a title slide. For those of you who do not know, the PCUSA, which we are a part of, has a three-year set cycle of scriptures to be preached on each Sunday. That's called the lectionary. Alex has never liked preaching on this. He tried it once in the eight years that he's been here, and he was like, never again. So I figured while he was gone, we could do it. But then I read ahead, and I didn't really like the scriptures for next week, so I was like, ah, that's a bust. (laughs) 
But then I thought, no, I know what I'll do. I'll do a sermon series called Not Genesis. <laughs> where for the next two weeks, we don't talk about the Hyundai Genesis, we don't talk about that band with Phil Collins in it, and most importantly, we will talk about any of the other 65 books in the Bible that is not Genesis. <laughs> so with that in mind, let's start my sermon series called Not Genesis. <laughs> These jokes are always more fun when Alex is actually here, so I guess I'll have to do them all again next week. <laughs> something that Ellen and I have been doing for the last two weeks, and something that I'm, assure, that I'm sure a bunch of you have also been doing, is watching the Olympics. I love the Olympics, both summer and winter. I love seeing people compete at the highest levels, play sports that I could never play, and do amazing things that I didn't know the human body was capable of. In the summer Olympics, I love watching gymnastics and volleyball and beach volleyball and swimming and track and field and water polo scares me a lot, but I still watch it and archery, and there's, there's so much. There's so many, so many sports. This last year, they even added surfing, sport climbing, karate, and skateboarding. In fact, the last of which, Ellen and I watched a 13-year-old girl win the first ever freestyle skateboard gold. 13, that's eighth grade. I was still figuring out which shoe goes on what foot in eighth grade. <laughs> I also like to watch the Olympics because I love to see people from all around the world get together, interact, learn from one another, and show what true sportsmanship and humanity can look like. And that hasn't been hard to find this year. In one of the new sports, surfing, Kanoa Igrashi from Japan won silver and Italio Ferreira from Brazil won gold. At the press conference afterwards, Italio was having some trouble communicating with the press. And so Kanoa stepped in speaking, speaking Portuguese to help the man who had just beat him communicate better. In another example, Isaiah Jouet from the US and Nigel Amos from Botswana were running the 800 meter race. Now, at the very beginning of this clip, you're gonna hear that they say Amos is the favored, but that Jouet is also a gamer, which I can only assume means that he's gonna do good. But let's see what happens. I'm just watching Amos there in the blue. He's the uh, favorite, of course, world number one this year but uh, he's in fourth at the moment. Oh! Oh, down goes Isaiah Jewett, and he got caught oh. up with Nigel Amos, so those two are down and oh. out. Wow, Jewett was in wonderful position. You can see him really digging with everything that he has. He is a gamer. He is somebody who can dig down deep and he's able to stay on his feet. We're gonna have to see if there's gonna be any petition. They have to finish this race, as you can see. If they want a petition for any spot in the final. Oh, and I think Amos just caught Jewett there. So it might have been Almost the Botswana's full when the judges look at that one and they will look at it again and again. That is really, really tough for Jewett. I would love to see 
both of them put back into the final, but I'm not sure that Amos, because of that error, will get the get the nod. Jewett certainly deserves it. And actually, you know what, on the commercial circuit... Even though they had both worked so hard to get to the Olympics, even though they have both probably poured blood, sweat, and tears into being there, when they tripped up over each other, instead of being angry, you could see that they shook hands, helped each other up, and allowed humanity to rule the day. The last thing I want to show you is a little bit longer of a clip, and so I hope it works again, <laughs> of Gianmarco Tamberi of Italy and Muta, Mutaz, there it is, Barsham of Qatar, competing in the high jump. It's a little bit longer of a clip, so I'm going to actually sit down. Uh, but I, I feel like you really need to see the whole thing. So we're going to watch it. This is a special night unfolding here. It really is. Well, here we start the men's high jump at 235. We've gone up two. And Barsham is equal first at the moment. He has not had a miss. And he's by far the best jump credential jumper. Look at that. He's in form and he's happy about that. Barsham, incredible. He's had been 11 times he's jumped over 240 in his career. It's just extraordinary. Here goes Tamberi, the flamboyant Italian. First attempt at 235. Look at his scorecard. Not a miss on there. He's had some great competitions too, has Tamberi. We've loved the way he entertains us. Fast on the run-up, and he's over! Oh my goodness me! <laughs> this is some kind of competition. One, two, three, four. Over at 2.35. Well, who'd have thought you have to jump 2.37 to win a minor medal here at the Games? And we still have another three athletes to attempt 2.35. And the good thing about this, Jane, the two men leading at the moment, Mutas Essabashim and Chamberi, both with clean cards, so tied for the gold, both of them could have had career-ending injuries. They both did so well to get back. Chamberi was heartbroken to miss out on Rio. So the bar has gone up to 2 metres 37, and Barsham will take the first jump, and here he is. So, to give Barsham on the runway, a legend of this event. As he comes in, beautiful and relaxed. Oh my, that is how to high jump. 2.37, even Tamberi, even his competitors have the most enormous respect for him, don't they? This charismatic Italian. First attempt at 2 metres 37 to move him into equal first if he clears it. He does. So he's now got a clear card all the way. He's on fire. He's going to put the pressure down on Barsham. We're really in the clutch phases of this men's high jump. He needs this to go into the outright lead. Third attempt, 239 for the world champion. Mutsas Essa Bashim. Oh, very close. 
but no cigar. So Barsham is done. He's still in equal first. Tambiri still has a jump left. His career was almost over, and he's brought the cast that got him back to full fitness with him to the stadium in Japan. Well, there's a bit of an Australian connection to Tambiri as well, because they trained together in Florence. They prepared for this. The whole of Italy, I'm sure, will be up watching. 239 for a win. No, there's the competition, though. I think they have to discuss a jump off, do they not? They may, indeed. Yeah, I think In we're going to go we again. Are. Continue with the jump off. Can but we have two gold? It's possible. It, it, it depends if you decide. History, if you both decide on the jump They've agreed to share the gold medal, and that is what it means to Tamberi, a man whose career was almost over with injury. So too, Mutas Essabashim. He's charismatic, he's a huge personality, and they will both taste gold in Tokyo. This is an absolutely insane night in the stadium. So in case you uh, didn't figure it out, they decided to share the gold. The, inst not instructor, the official was saying, okay, we're gonna do a jump off and this is what's gonna happen. Uh, and then they said, can we just, can we both have gold? And, and the official was like, well, that's an option. And then he continued to explain and they were like, nope, that's what we're doing. We're gonna share it. These moments are amazing to me. Because these athletes have trained their entire lives to be where they are, to represent their country, to be the best in the world. And yet, when the moment of truth comes, when push comes to shove, they choose kindness over competition, humanity over winning for themselves and their nation. They choose to be generous with those who are supposed to be their rivals. This is almost exactly what Paul is talking about in Ephesians when he wrote that we are members of one another. This scripture, however, is a little bit interesting to me because Paul starts it by saying, don't be like the Gentiles. Essentially, don't be like the outside world. And yet, I've just given you three examples of how the outside world is how we should be. It's a slow backwards. It's all right, I'll get my footing again. Scholars believe that it is actually Paul who wrote this letter. And that's important because we have a lot of letters that say Paul, but weren't actually written by Paul. But the interesting thing about this letter is that it was written to the general Asia Minor churches. Even though Ephesians 1.1 reads, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the holy and faithful people in Christ Jesus in Ephesus. Interestingly enough, the earliest transcripts that we have of this letter do not have the location of Ephesus. 
And the scholars believe that that part was added later on in order to make the letter look more similar to the others in Paul's collection. Now, why have I told you this? Well, it seems that the letter wasn't written to a specific church, but to a slew of churches or even the wider Christian church. Because of that, Paul's message strikes differently. Paul isn't giving advice to a specific place at a specific time because something is happening there that needs his attention. Instead, this is an encapsulation of Paul's basic beliefs of Christian thought and Christian living that he's sharing with many churches. So when we hear Paul say to no longer live like the Gentiles, this isn't because the church in Ephesus is experiencing an influx of Gentiles who are acting poorly. This is because Paul sees the cruelty and the greed in the world and wants to stress the importance of not acting like that, of acting more like Jesus. And I totally understand where Paul is coming from. I know that the past two weeks of watching the Olympics has put me into a more positive, humanity is awesome kind of mood. But most of the time, especially when I'm watching the news or reading up on current events, I feel like Paul does here. I still see people inside and outside of the church who have hardened their hearts, like Paul says, who has lost all sensitivity, or another way of saying that is they've lost compassion or empathy, who practice greed and impurity, and truly, this is not the way we learned from Christ. We continue to see people killed and injured by violence in our country, We continue to have record numbers of infections and hospitalizations from COVID, and yet people are unwilling to put on a mask to protect themselves and others. Hardness of heart, loss of sensitivity. We continue to have pundits and media politicize everything so that we see each other as rivals and enemies. But unlike our Olympic representatives, there is no reaching across the aisle, no putting labels aside to see the humanity of the other, just right and wrong, black and white, and hardness of heart. We continue to see a rise in homelessness, landlords just champing at the bit to evict more people and exacerbate the problem further. All while we have billionaires having a space pissing contest, hardness of heart, loss of compassion, practicing of greed. I can hardly open my news app or turn on my TV or go on Facebook without being reminded of just how unjust and backwards and dark this world can be. It's no wonder that Paul told the churches to be better, to do better. We still need to be and do better. Paul continues his letter by saying, Speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. This is a call to accountability. This isn't a call to just make sure that you are right in yourself and everyone else can worry about themselves. No, this is a call to communal accountability. 
Years ago, I learned a phrase that comes from South Africa and was made famous by Nelson Mandela. Go to the exhibit, check out the man's life, plug, 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 it's awesome. The phrase is Ubuntu. President Mandela once explained it this way. A traveler through a country would stop at a village and he didn't have to ask for food or water. Once he stops, the people give him food, entertain him. This is one aspect of Ubuntu, but it will have various aspects. Ubuntu does not mean that people should not enrich themselves. The question, therefore, is are you going to do so in order to enable the community around you to be able to improve? The word Ubuntu actually comes from the Josha Zulu culture and can be translated as literally, a person is a person through other persons. Or, the more well-known, I am because we are. I am not happy unless we are all happy. I am not content if we are all not content. No one is free until we are all free, as the Reverend Dr. King put it. Or as our current author Paul says in a different letter to the Romans, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This idea is not new. It has roots in our scriptures and yet we tend to turn it aside when it becomes difficult. Because part of the idea behind this kind of community is giving up the idea that you are only responsible to yourself. That you only need to look out for you and yours and everyone else can figure it out. Ubuntu calls us to radical community. When your neighbor is messing up, it is your problem too. When your crazy uncle is saying things at Thanksgiving, it is your biblical mandate to hold him accountable. When your church friend is throwing a fit because we might have to go back to masking in church, it is your holy duty to speak to them and lovingly correct them. It's not easy. No part of what Paul and Nelson Mandela and Dr. King is asking of us is easy. Nor do they think that we won't get ticked off every once in a while. Paul's very next sentence is, be angry. Paul knows that keeping people accountable, being held accountable, essentially getting called out, is a quick way to get people upset. Be angry, get mad, get hurt, get in your feelings. But, but, Paul says, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Oof, that's really tough. Get mad, but don't let it lead you into wrongdoing. In fact, Paul is saying if someone makes you mad, you need to try your best to rectify that before the sun goes down. So if someone makes you mad at night, you got like 18 hours for that. But 7 p.m., you got to hurry up. What Paul is actually trying to get across here is something that Jesus talked about in his Sermon on the Mount. 
If there is a rift, if you have a grudge, if you've got something that's going to impede your relationship with someone, you need to try and fix that. Jesus says, if you are at the altar and you remember that you are mad at your brother or sister or they are mad at you, leave your sacrifice and fix it. This is the same thing Paul is essentially saying here. No grudges, no holding on to hurt and hate. Reconcile with one another. Paul continues to give guidance on how to live for the rest of the chapter, saying, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Put away all from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. What a list. Only words used for building up. No bitterness or wrath or slander or malice. Be kind to one another. There's a comedian that I've listened to before named Patton Oswald. I wouldn't generally recommend him for any of you because he's quite an acquired taste. But he has a bit in one of his shows where he spoke about his wife's passing and her philosophy in life, which is just four words. It's chaos. Be kind. We live on a tiny blue dot, hurtling through space. We have natural disasters like fires and tornadoes, hurricanes and mudslides, droughts, viruses, pandemics, snowpocalypses that we already have to deal with. And all of that is chaos. All of that is pure happenstance and randomness for the most part. And the same can be said about living in a society. Did you just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, take a wrong turn and get in a car accident? Or your condominium just happens to collapse around you? Perhaps you got pulmonary embolisms out of nowhere. Or you got cancer. The world is chaos. We don't need to add any more to it. We are called to be a relief from the chaos, the port in the storm, the oasis in the desert. We are called to look out for one another within and without these walls. We are called to be different from the world because the world is full of hurt and darkness and pain. We, with our actions and our words, can bring light and healing and joy. So as we leave today, remember, it is chaos. Be kind. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org. For more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez family of faith.